0: Good morning, good afternoon, good to see you all, we're doing the third class of our Yoga Sutras series with uh, Michael Gadway, and um, this one is on Pada 2, so and then we're going to have the next class will be on July 30th, and that will be on Pada 3, so let me turn it over to Michael, welcome Michael.
1: Hi, everybody. Can we just take a moment for a centering meditation before we begin? So let's sit upright, our meditation posture, uh, Dhyana Asana, closing our eyes and raising
0: our gaze, looking out through the third eye, knowing that we are looking out into inner space. Inwardly acknowledge the truth of your own being
1: that at the core, we are individualized units of spirit called
0: souls. And that what is true for us is also true for every other living creature on the planet. Take a deep breath in, let it go. God, Christ, Gurus. Om. Namaste. Can I see a show of
1: hands who would like me to do a quick review of the first Pada? Does everybody want just to? Okay. so All right. Most of you. Okay. So we know that the potentially yoga Sutras is split up into four quarters. Pada. Pada means quarter. The first Pada is called the Samadhi Pada. Samadhi here is this sense of both uh, uh, bliss and union and also this idea of bringing everything together. And the primary thing we learn about the yoga sutras is that there isn't just one yoga enumerated in potential yoga sutras, just as there isn't one yoga enumerated in the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita has four different yogas. So too does the yoga sutras have four different yogas. The first pada of the yoga sutras Sutra means thread, yoga union, threads of union. The primary takeaway from it is the second sutra, which is yoga chitta vritti niroda. That's the first thing, kind of a sing-songy way. It's done that way to memorization, uh, implying that the yoga sutras were is were an oral tradition before they were codified. So that's the primary takeaway, and that is yoga union is achieved when. The chitta and the vritti are restrained, Nyaroda. Or we could interpret that as the science of self-realization is the process of restraining the chitta and the vritti. Both ways to interpret that sutra are correct at the same time. We then go on in Pada 1 to list all the different ways or obstacles. That are in front of us as yogis to achieve yoga union. And then as Pada one moves through, it gives us a list of ways to overcome those obstacles. And we talked about Akatatva, that idea of practicing one thing. We talked about the law of opposites, and so on and so forth. So the entire first Pada sets up. Not only what yoga is and how to achieve it, but also how to overcome all the obstacles and problems that are there in front of us. The interesting thing to remember is at the end of Pada One, it doesn't actually say this brings liberation. It says this brings discriminative discernment, which then can be applied to liberation. So nowhere in the Yoga Sutras does it actually say we cause enlightenment or liberation to come. It says the same thing as Roy Eugene Davis said for years, and that is we can't make liberation come. We can prepare for it. And everything that we're doing in yoga is creating a fit vehicle through which spirit can express fully. Okay. So once we start to say I'm going to bring about enlightenment, the ego kicks on it separates us even further from the source. And Pata 1 really sort of enumerates that quite clearly. Is that, does anybody want further clarification of Pata 1? It's pretty fast, hard and fast, isn't it? But, okay. So I'm gonna share my screen with you and we'll start on Pata 2. So Pata 2, the second quarter, is where we find two more yogas enumerated, listed. And the two yogas that are listed in the entire Pada 2, by the way, is about just these two yogas. The first is Kriya Yoga, and the second is Ashtanga Yoga. And in fact, all of Pada 2 is about just these two kinds of yoga. That's what it's described. The title of this Pada is Sadhana Pada. Most people know Sadhana as our spiritual journeys. But this word, sadhana, has so much more meaning than just your spiritual journey. And I've listed several of the different meanings of this one word. It's this idea that there's a path to accomplishing something. And what the path we're accomplishing is? Yoga. All right? So it's the path to self-realization. Sadhana also literally means leading us straight to the goal. It also is the establishment of truth. Not truth-telling, But the knowing what we are at the core, the truth of our being, all this is implied in the word sadhana. So sadhana is way more than just our spiritual path. It's actually teaching us how to accomplish something. And what, again, what I want you to know is at the end of Pada 2, what it's teaching us to accomplish isn't liberation. It says at point blank, it's teaching us discriminative discernment, vivika, And we'll talk about that as well. Okay. So all this implied in just the title sadhana. Here are the terms to know today. The first is dharma. It's a really important word. And if you've heard me in any of my other talks, uh, you know that Westerners are really sadly misinformed about the word dharma. Almost always they think of it as righteous duty. And it does mean that. But in the Eastern mind, dharma means so much more. It's this idea from its root, dri, which means to support. And dharma is the essence of a thing. So when we're talking about yoga from a from yogi's point of view, our dharma is yoga. The essence of what we are is union and the process of unifying. The next word you need to know is kriya. For our tradition, it's important to understand that kriya yoga is not technically a different or unique yoga the way we use kriya yoga in our tradition kriya yoga is it's an emphasis and that emphasis is on the kriya pranayama the word kriya itself comes to the same root as karma kr which means to do so kriya in potentially yoga sutras means the actions of yoga and we're going to go over that specifically okay The other really important word to know is avidya. Often it's referred to as ignorance. I'm not crazy about the English word ignorance because it has a negative connotation. It literally means to not know. And it means to not know what we are at the core. The truth of our own being. And why this is important is because in potentially yoga sutras in Pata 2, it actually says that avidya is the cause of all suffering, so that's why that word is really important to know, and Roy Eugene Davis's approach to this was, remove a vidya, and everything else gets in line, so he always went first to wake up, wake up, wake up, all right, and he had a reason for it, right here in Potential Yoga Sutras, it says, here's the cause of all our problems, okay, The next word I want you to know well is the word klesha or klesha's. The word klesha comes from its root kleist, and kleist means affliction. The klesha's are the mental afflictions, also referred to as the mental poisonings, which get in the way of us experiencing what we are at the core. And much of the second pada talks about the klesha's, and we're going to talk about them. The next term I want you to know is dukum. It's a very important Sanskrit word. It's interpreted most often as suffering. But it doesn't really translate as suffering per se. Dukkha, we don't have that word in English. We have it in Latin and its derivatives. That is dolor. Dukkha literally means emotional pain, specifically emotional pain. It translates best in English as emotional angst. Its literal definition is bad axle hole. And its idea that suffering is caused in yoga terms by you're experiencing something that you're resisting. And the mind goes out to find the answer for itself. And it ends up coming back to the exact same point as it started because it cannot accept what's in front of it. And so, dukkha in yoga is this idea that the mind is going around and around a bad axle hole and coming back to the same problem over and over again. So, in yoga terms, suffering is caused by resistance, non acceptance, and the mind going around and around. The next term I want you to know for this pada is vivika. Vivika means discrimination or discernment. Yoga defines discrimination and discernment as being able to tell the real from the unreal. So one of the definitions we can look at it from real and unreal is the real lasts. If it is not eternal, it is not real. Having the discrimination, knowing the difference between the eternal and the non-eternal is a really important point in the Yoga Sutras. Because it uses vivaka, not liberation, most often as the term to find freedom. And the last term you should want to know here is Kaivalya. You will hear this term again, it's the title of the last uh, Pada. Kaivalya means the great aloneness. It literally means not connected to anything. And it is the result of union yoga, okay? And it says that at the end of the Pada. So those are our terms to know today, okay? Here's our summary. Pada 2 has 55 sutras, two distinct sections, the Kriya Yoga section, 1 through 27, and the Ashtanga Yoga section, 28 through 55. There are no chapter separations or titles for this. It just starts by saying them. okay? And it describes them, pretty much the entire Pada describes these two kinds of yoga, Kriya Yoga and Ashtanga Yoga. And it enumerates the practices and procedures of each. It talks about the kleshas, which we just talked about, and then it talks about how to overcome them. Whereas the first pada talked about obstacles that we overcome. Here in the second pada, we talk about overcoming the mental afflictions, the poisonings of the mind. There's our first explanation of the gunas. And then it actually describes the purpose of creation, why we're here. As we move forward, what I need you to know is I can't go over all 55 sutras. So I cherry-picked what I thought was important. And when we get to the parts that I left out, I'll tell you what I left out for you, and I'll tell you why. But I'm trying to give you an overview of this Pada so that you can put it into perspective. So the first thing I want you to know is these two sutras. And it says the qualities of the scene are brightness, activity, and inertia. In other words, the gunas are sattvic, rajas, Tamasic. and it says the purpose of what we see is experience and liberation. So here's the reason for creation. It enumerates it quite clearly. The purpose of creation is to serve the soul. Creation would not exist when souls don't exist. And in fact, when the first soul expresses its individuality, the universes expand outward. And when the last soul returns home, the universes will pull back in and cease to exist again. The purpose of creation is for the soul. So the very first sutra of potentially of Pada 2 is the Kriya Yoga Sutra. And it says, Austerity, self-study, and devotion to God are Kriya Yoga, are the actions of yoga. These three things it's important for us to discuss probably more than other things. Austerity here, the word literally they use is tapas or tapa, T-A-P-A-H, T-A-P-A-S. Tapas literally means, its root top means to make hot. So austerity in yoga is not over-exuberance, a denial. It's staying away from the things which make us hot, overheat us, aggravate us. Austerity in the yoga world is the middle path. That sounds really familiar to Buddhism, doesn't it? Well, it turns out Buddha was a yogi. And here we have austerity listed. But austerity here is not uh, too strong self-discipline. It's the middle. We don't eat too much. We don't sleep too much, so on and so forth. The next one is self-study. And the word they use in this sutra for self-study is self means sva, S-V-A. The word swami comes from sva. It's a reflexive pronoun. We don't have those in English, and it literally means me, myself, and directly refers to Atman, the soul. So study of the self means soul, studying, studying what we are at the core. The word they use for study, dayaya, is actually contemplation. So it's this idea of contemplating what we are. And Rohr used to teach us during meditation, gently place in the mind, gently inquire, what am I? What am I? And this is self-study. What am I? The next thing they use is devotion to, and they use the word Ishvara. We replace that word Ishvara with God because Ishvara is a very difficult term. It's evolved over the, over the millennia. It, it doesn't mean the same thing to any two people. But Ishvara is defined in the other sutras as that special sense of self. And most always that sense of self is Atman, soul, spirit. If you don't have an Ishta devata, a personal view of God, Roy would tell us, teach us that we are devoted then to the process of awakening. And these are the actions of yoga. So austerity, self-study and devotion to God in whatever form you see, see God are the actions of yoga. The, at, the purpose of Kriya Yoga is to cultivate samadhi, and attenuate the afflictions or the kleshas. Remember we talked about the kleshas being the mental poisonings. We're getting ready to discuss that even further. So the whole reason we practice yoga is to find God and get rid of the mental afflictions that prevent us from recognizing the truth of our own being. And here's what I want you to memorize for fun. This is a piece of the sutra. And that is klesha, mula, karma. That is all karma has its roots in the kleshas. So if you want to attenuate your karma, look at the kleshas within yourself. Figure out what's going on. What are your mental poisonings? Remove the root of your karma and the karma itself dissolves. Kleshas are ignorance, avidya to not know, this is the root of all the other mental poisonings. Not knowing what we are at the core is the cause of all other suffering. From ignorance, which is seeing the non-eternal as eternal, the impure as pure, and sorrow as pleasure,
0: That's the, by the way, that's the Yoga Sutra's definition of ignorance, all other problems come. The next
1: klesha is... Ahamkara, the interpreter for that is ego. That is that separate sense of, ex- small sense of existence being. We are separated from the source. Not knowing what we are causes us to believe we are other than that. From ego comes attachment, aversion, and clinging. So let's talk about attachment, aversion, and clinging just for a moment. Attachment is, mm, let's say I have this glass, I have my glass, and I, the ego, think, if this glass is removed from me, I will lose that separate sense of existence. And so I hold on to this glass tightly as the ego, because I think if I lose this glass, I lose my separate sense of existence. This is attachment. I'm identified with this other than what I am, because I think if this goes away, I lose what I am. Aversion is if I, the ego, see this glass coming toward me, and I think if this glass approaches me, I will lose my separate sense of existence as well, ego. And so I push the glass away because I will lose myself in it if it comes. This is aversion. So both attachment and aversion, according to yoga, are a direct extension of the ego being challenged. That separate sense of existence, lose, afraid fearing it's losing itself. Why this is important is because yoga speaks differently than what's going on out there in the world. Yoga doesn't say fee, there's only fear and love. You hear that often in the new thought communities. Yoga says all other negative emotions come from attachment, aversion, or clinging. Because yoga says fear and love are emotions. Therefore, they are not real because they are not eternal. The All things have their roots in these kleshas, all karma. And the last is clinging. And that's this idea of we're clinging to life. And it says actually even this one, clinging is the hardest for the sages. Those who are even awake have problems with this one. Okay. So those are the kleshas. And understanding these kleshas, you understand where all your karma comes from. So if you want to figure out your karma, you can go back to its source, which the yoga says are in the kleshas themselves.
0: Okay? Is everybody with me? Okay. I can't see y'all because I have my... Here's the cause of suffering
1: is the union of the seer with the seeing. In other words... When we become identified with other than what we are. This is awareness. I am aware of that. Union with the seer, me, the observer, with that which is observed. This is the cause of our suffering. So this is avidya. Not knowing. I'm over-identified with other than what I
0: am. Okay? That's Sutra 17. Sutra 225 is the
1: disappearance of ignorance. Avidya goes away. Identification with the realm of senses ceases. Once we know what we are, we are no longer identified with it. We're no longer attached or averse to it. Now we know the truth of our being. We are awakened.
0: And that leads to freedom. And that freedom they call absolute isolation. And here's the trick. The means to escape suffering is discriminative discernment.
1: Wake up, know the truth of your being, that from real and unreal, and you are free. Okay? So that's interesting because so many people have this idea that they have to experience light and bliss and joy and all the other uh, bells and whistles. But in fact, the Yoga Sutras are quite clear. It's simply knowing the truth, the difference between what you are and what you are not. Okay? That means that power's you may or may not have powers. You're just awake. You're okay. Okay? So that ends the first part of Pada 2. That ends this idea of what is Kriya Yoga. As we move through a, into Ashtanga Yoga, I want to go back just for a moment and remind you these three things. Austerity, self-study, devotion to God. Okay? That's Kriya Yoga. And then the next, we start at Sutra 28, a description of Ashtanga Yoga and what it leads to. And again, it does not lead to Samadhi or bliss or any of the bells and whistles. This is one of the yoga myths out there. People are, lest they see signs and wonders kind of thing. The performance of the eight limbs of yoga, Ashtanga Yoga, Astanga Yoga, purifies the mind the chitta and the vritti allowing knowledge that which we are to radiate leading to discrimination so practicing ashtanga yoga leads to knowing the difference between the real and the unreal that's why we practice it
0: the eight limbs are the yamas the restraints and we're going to go over these briefly
1: The niyamas, observances, asana, posture, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. The first three are considered the outer limbs. The middle one, the fourth one, pranayama is considered the bridge. And the last ones are considered the inner practices. So let's talk about yamas first. The restraints. We're going to talk about a few of these, the ones that I want to emphasize, because uh, they're often mismanaged. The first one is harmlessness. The term they use is ahimsa. Ahimsa literally means to not strike. Ah, not, himsa strike. That means to not strike out in both thought, word, and deed. The interesting thing about the Yoga Sutras is it says whether you cause harm, whether you harm yourself, or whether you allow harm to occur, if you can prevent it, you violate ahimsa. So ahimsa is not just not harming other people. It's way more complicated than that. If you are manipulating people like like, uh, players on a chessboard, and you are hurting people with your manipulations, you are violating ahimsa. If you have the power to prevent someone else from hurting someone, and you don't take action, you are violating ahimsa. So it's more, way more than just keeping your own company. The next one is truthfulness, and the word they use for truthfulness is satya. And satya literally means to exist in truth. It isn't just speaking the words being truthful it's coming from the truth of your being and if you come from the truth of your being everything else is expressed as light and bright and radiance and truthfulness because remember the world is a reflection of our states of awareness and consciousness if we know what we are if we are spirit at the core and we know that then the only thing reflected back to us is truth is spirit is light So in knowing what we are at the core, we resolve. We don't have to manipulate the world. We have to know what we are. And the more aware, the more of our truth of our being, the more that truth is reflected back to us. I think non-stealing, the only thing I want to say about non-stealing is non-stealing is more than just taking other people's possessions. It's also stealing ideas. It's taking things that you did not earn were not given to you or you did not inherit. So non-stealing is way more than just not purloining. The next one is right use of energies. That term, Roy, really fixed how we perceive that because it's been used as a tool by monastics so that householders couldn't find God. The word they use is brahmacharya. Brahma, God, spirit, charya literally means to move towards. So it's this idea Ramacharya is that all our energies should be used to move towards finding god all right so we don't waste any of our energies it's not just sexual energies it doesn't mean or never meant to imply that householders couldn't find god that you couldn't have healthy relationships and find god absolutely not and the last is non-grasping i think that we could speak for itself the next are the niyamas So, if we look at the yamas, we notice something. These are the ways with which, these are the tools with which we use to deal with the world. So, in a sense, these are the outer tools. These are the social tools that we have how to respond, how to behave in the world, how to move through life. The next are the niyamas. And if we pay attention to the niyamas, we notice that these are the ways, the internal practices. These are the ways we walk around aware of what's inside us and how to behave for our own benefit. And they are purity, contentment, austerity. And here I want you to notice the last three of the niyamas. Austerity, self-study, devotion to Ishvara. Have we heard those before? Same as Kriya Yoga, right? So here we are repeating Kriya Yoga, almost as if this was a different kind of yoga And was unaware that we had already said it. By the way, purity here isn't mm, burning something into ash. Purity, the word they use, literally means to make radiant. So it's this idea that we clean the body and the mind and the environment so that the pure self, the radiance of the soul, can shine forth. However that means. You can imagine the scope of that. Being aware of our environment, what we're taking in mentally through eyes, through mouth, through senses. Contentment. That isn't happiness, by the way. That's this idea that I know what I am at the core and this too shall pass. Everything changes except what I am, the truth of my being. And I don't have to do the next three because we already do them. Austerity, tapas, self-study, svadhyaya, and, and by the way, devotion here, the word they use is uh, pranandinana, I can never pronounce it. It literally means to put God first or to put first. So your awakening process is the most important thing. Okay? And in fact, in Samkhya philosophy, from which yoga comes, it says if you're doing anything other than looking for God, you're wasting your time.
0: It literally says that. I think that's
1: interesting. And then the next sutras begin how to.
0: How do we cultivate all the yamas and the niyamas? Okay. The one
1: thing they teach us here in this Pada is we cultivate opposite thinking, the law of opposites, when faced with unwholesome thoughts and reflections. It actually says that. So in yoga, just as in physical reality, no two opposites can occupy the same space. In yoga, we talk about how no two thoughts can occupy the same space in the mind as well. So we can use this law of opposites when it comes to our challenges. When we're faced with hatred, we can choose love. When we are resisting, we can choose to accept So we can apply the law of opposites to our life when we're trying to overcome the kleshas. Remember the kleshas, the mental poisonings? So we can use this law of opposites to overcome our aversions, our attachments, to overcome our clinging.
0: We as yogis get to choose how we think, and in that choice comes freedom. I thought this was interesting.
1: All hostility is abandoned when we are in the presence of someone who is established in Ahimsa. So, by the way, the word they use for established is abide in. When you embody a principle, not just practice it, but when you embody it. When you embody truthfulness, you are aware of what you are at the core at all times. Here, the word embody Ahimsa means we, we have now become the principle that we're practicing. But everyone around you, when you're established in it, when you embody harmlessness,
0: is also protected. So a lot of the rest of the Yoga Sutras
1: now, as we move to the end of our 45 minutes, actually say things like this. So they talk about each of the um, yamas and the niyamas and they talk about how when we embody this, this happens. So I didn't go through all of those because we would be here all day. Um, truthfulness, for example, I didn't, I don't think I did. Yeah. So for example, it says, and some of them are interesting, it says, when we are and uh, em- when we embody non-stealing, all gems appear. It literally says that, all gems appear. It's this idea that gems were money. So when we embody non-stealing, prosperity uh, uh, is the result of embodying non-stealing. And it goes through a lot of things like that because the language, remember, was not written for today's world. So we have to translate this idea of gems. Gems are transportable income. So all gems appear. This is interesting, I think. It says, When we established in non-grasping, and by the way, the word non-grasping in Sanskrit is a-pari-graha. A is not, pari is around, graha is to grasp. Not grasping around, not holding on to things. We then become knowledgeable of why nature manifested. The reason I find this interesting is because when we accept that change is built into the fabric of nature. That's a quote from Roy. We then understand how and why the universes unfold and are here at all. Until we understand that we cannot grasp, we cannot hold that change is always going to occur, that it is part of nature until we embody that understanding. We don't fully grasp why it's here. So in other words, you have to let go of the concept of understanding nature before you can understand the
0: concept of why nature exists. One of those great catch-22s. The purity of a sattvic life, mental equanimity.
1: Can you all remember the stations of Brahma we talked about in one? One of the stations of Brahma, one of the five stations of Brahma was equanimity intense focus on liberation and mastery over the senses make us a fit vessel for spirit. The reason I pulled this sutra up rather than the other ones is again, none of our practices
0: can force God to come. That's ego. All our practices are
1: designed to make us fit vessels through which spirit expresses. Consciousness, expressing as consciousness, consciousness, awakening consciousness. And we can choose to participate with that process or resist it. But we cannot think we are the doers. There is only one power, God, and there is only one expression of that power, God. God is in us and around us. But we are not God.
0: Okay. If you can say I, you are not it. I like this. Remember svadhyaya, self study? It's both in the yamas and niyamas
1: and it's in Kriya Yoga. When we, when we contemplate what we are at the core, what am I? With self study comes union with the aspect of God we desire most. I think that's kind of beautiful. So if you see God as pure existence being, you experience that when you ask the question, you contemplate, what am I? If you see God as mother, father, pick Rama, Ishvara, whatever aspect of God you see, Jesus, it doesn't
0: matter. Buddha, it doesn't matter. By self-study, you experience that. By deep contemplation of what am I? So if you
1: want to know God, you don't reach out in your mind and ask, what is God out there? You turn inward, get quiet, experience the truth of your own being, and the truth of existence being, universal existence being, dawns in the organ of
0: intelligence. Aha, I am that. When all effort is let go, the infinity of union is experienced. This is really interesting. So all effort is ego. To find God, we must absolutely surrender.
1: So we must absolutely surrender to experience
0: absoluteness. That doesn't mean give up, give in, give out. And one of the things that meditation does, by the way,
1: is it destroys, dissolves ego. And here's how. When you meditate, remember in Ashtanga Yoga, the last three parts of it were concentration, meditation, samadhi. Well, this is this idea that there's a motion, a movement to meditation, right? We're moving in a direction towards union, samadhi. In order to do that, we have to concentrate. Concentration is Focusing the mind on a single point, object, or concept. That's concentration. Meditation is the uninterrupted flow of concentration to a single point, concept, or object. But in order to do that, we have to focus, don't we, on a single point, object, concept. But here's the trick. We have to focus on that single point, but we can't force it. Because the moment you say, I am going to focus on that single point and make it happen, what's kicked on? Ego. So in meditation, we learn to focus and concentrate without importing the ego to do it. And that's difficult, right? Because if we focus on a single point, too much ego, now we're forcing the issue. If we don't stay focused and concentrated, what happens to us? We fall asleep. So the very act of meditation of itself dissolves ego. It dissolves that separate sense of self. So the idea of effort here, by the way, is the ego kicks on to make it happen. So we stay focused, alert,
0: and surrendered. Surrendered focus is the key to meditation. Sitting a long time in the silence, where I would say. Sit a long time in the silence. Concentration makes
1: the mind a fit vessel for spirit to express. The last five or six sutras of the second pada uh, set us up for going into the third pada the third pada i have to be honest with you is my least favorite it's the pada on the powers but what you should know about that before our next visit is it says in order to experience the uh, the powers one must have samyama here's a brand new term that we don't usually talk about samyama but it's what the last four or five sutras of this second pada talk about and samyama has the same root as samadhi the difference then we have to ask is what's the difference between samadhi and samyama well it's tricky it's really difficult it's because in samadhi samadhi means union union with the observer and that which is observed oneness union yoke union yoga samyama is a little bit different in samadhi there's still the sense of i am that aha I am light. Aha, I am bliss. Aha, I am sound. Pick the, there's still, there's still a subject and an object. In Samyama, we have become that which we are observed. There is again,
0: no sense of I am. If we are light, there's no I am light. There's just light. This is a subtle difference
1: between Samyama. It's the idea that we have embodied the principle. So as we move forward into the third pada next time, the all the powers, the vibhuti, all come about because of samyama. We have now embodied the very principle, and it talks about all the different seventeen or eighteen different things we can experience in samadhi through samyama. Okay, and that's the last part of the second. So the second Pada, the end of the second Pada, blurs into the third Pada. And it actually, it's almost as if someone drew a line between it. And this has caused critics to say, see, the Pada titles, the chapter titles were inserted into the Yoga Sutras after the fact. What we have to remember when we talk about the Yoga Sutras is... The first commentary we have about the Yoga Sutras is by a guy named Vyasa. Vyasa is also attributed to everything, from the Gita, you name it, it's Vyasa. Well, Vyasa literally means collator. So it's very probable that the entire Yoga Sutras were already there as an oral tradition before they were collated and brought together. So when they were brought together, the chapters were created. And we have this Interesting problem between Pada two and Pada three, and that is the chapters end and begin, but there shouldn't be an ending in the beginning, they blur into each other. So we see it as almost it was forced into being. So the next Pada we're going to talk about is Vibhuti Pada. Vibhuti literally means the powers. The interesting thing about that is, though, Vibhuti is also the sacred ash of India. So it's this idea that the ego has to be burned to ash in the fires of either devotion or discrimination or wisdom before we can have the powers. So if you're practicing just for power, you're already taking the wrong step forward. That's why I don't teach the third up
0: very much. It's a waste of time. No God. Surrender to God and it's taken care of because that's all that's reflected back at you. So that's the class for today. Thank you, Pascal. Thank you, Michael. So hope you have a good day. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Pascal. Welcome. Thank you, Michael.